This podcast was inspired by Rebecca, who asked, are you willing to talk a little bit about how you handle your Zillow leads? I'm looking at the scripts for different scenarios, and I'm pretty much rewriting them all. So I'd love to hear what you've come up with if you wouldn't mind talking to me about it. While 75% of my business comes from repeat business and referrals, the other 25% does come from paid lead sources, and that includes Zillow. So let's get Rebecca an answer to her question. Welcome to the Savvy Agent Podcast, where we help real estate agents build a thriving business so they have financial freedom in their life without having to work 24-7. I'm your host, Heather Wright. Now let's get to it. Zillow may be seen as the enemy by many or most realtors, but the fact is that they know how to get people to visit their site. And I am not above paying for advertising, paying for cold traffic. I don't know everybody in the world and putting money on a lead source is one way to generate new leads. So if you have time or you have money, well, in this case, I use money and I chose Zillow. While 75% of my business comes from repeat business and referrals, the other 25% does come from paid strategies, including Zillow. And these recommendations would work for Realtor.com, Homes.com, Remax. Uh, you know, if you get leads from your KW site, Century 21, Coldwell Banker, whatever website these people are searching for, searching for houses on, that is an online portal that the end user came from. So the goal is still the same. The people searching on Zillow or your broker's website, they want to see a house in general, I'd say I'm pretty chill with my leads. I'm very casual and laid back. I'll be your best friend. And that might work for you, but it might not. I'm also not scripted at all. I just talk with people. There are some things that I say repeatedly, and I suppose those things have turned into my own personal scripts, but I'm not looking at my telemarketer flip chart while I'm on the phone to think about what to say next. So let's say I get an incoming call and I'm talking to the person live. Zillow will sometimes give you the address, uh, so you have a second to look it up, but I will also stall if I need to. I mean, heck, I might be in the car faking that I'm at my computer, and I'll just make a comment about how my computer is always so slow whenever I have someone waiting on the other end of the phone, that, and that just kind of breaks the ice. You know, it's a little cheesy, but it's casual, and it usually makes people giggle because whose computer is always reliable and never lets them down. Everybody can relate to that. So then I'll say, okay, I got it. Wow. This is a really cute house. Three bedrooms, one and a half bath. I love the neighborhood. When would you like to see it? So I almost immediately set the appointment for a showing the people calling want to see the house. They don't care about anything else. So I just give them what they want. So we'll schedule the time to meet and I'll tell them I'll get it all set up and reach back out to them to confirm. I'll confirm their contact information, you know, just make sure I've got everything I need. Even if you haven't looked the house up on the MLS, you can still set the appointment. So what if it's under contract already? Use this opportunity to get to know whomever you're talking to. So then I'll ask them. Now, let's say we look at this house tomorrow at three o'clock and you fall in love with it. You love it. You have to have it. Have you considered how you're going to pay for it? I guess that's kind of one of my scripts because that's how I ask if they're pre-approved. And if they tell me, oh yeah, I'm pre-approved, then I have more questions. For example, I want to know who they're approved with. 
I want to know what kind of loan it is. And I also want to know if they have an agent, because that's a clue. If they're pre-approved, they probably also have an agent. Depending on the rest of the conversation, of course, I'll ask them to email me a copy of their approval letter. Last year, when COVID first came on scene, there were a lot of sellers that uh, put in agent remarks that you must be pre-approved to look at my house. Uh, you know, I wouldn't want unapproved germs walking through a house either. Uh, you know, frankly, I wouldn't want people that weren't approved doing a showing at my house, COVID or not. So I'll use that as a reason for them to email me their approval. Like I'll say, oh, I see the seller has requested showings to qualified buyers only. Or I see the sellers have requested showings to identified buyers only. That means they require an approval letter. Identified buyers in our market, we have a safety pledge throughout the MLS where some sellers don't want you meeting strangers in their home. And so they uh, have it on the listing that the buyer needs to be identified, meaning you need to know who it is that you're meeting. You can't be meeting perfect strangers there. And, um, you know, that of course that's in everybody's best interest. And so part of the identification process is confirming you're talking to a real buyer and getting a pre-approval letter will satisfy that proof. Now, if I'm not very busy or I'm not in the middle of a pandemic, then I admit I'll show one house for free. They'll get one showing. And if they don't pony up an approval letter after that, we don't look at any other houses. So when I ask if they've considered how they're paying for the house and they say, oh, well, I suppose I'll get a loan. I hadn't really thought about it. Then that's a clue that they're probably not working with another agent. So then I'll go into my buying power spiel. And I suppose this is also one of my scripts because I do say it a lot. I'll say, you know, it's probably a good idea to have that conversation before you look at the house. Because let's say you look at this house and fall in love, and then you mentally move in, and then you get approved, but you find out from the bank that the house is $10,000 higher than your budget. So then you'll be sad. You'll have to mentally move out, and it will ruin the rest of your home buying experience because no house will ever measure up to the one that got away. And people get that. And they'll usually call one of my lenders, but they might hedge around the approval a little bit. Sometimes it's just a lot to take in during one phone call. And if the house is in my territory, I don't have to drive too far to see it, then I'll give them a freebie. However, if they give me a creepy vibe, no showing. Remember that, follow your own safety protocol. So then as the conversation goes along, I might also ask what they liked about the house, find out what their search criteria is. And depending on those answers, I might set them up on a search or even have another one to two homes that I can use when we meet to deepen that relationship. The houses are carrots in this scenario, and you better believe I'm going to dangle those carrots. If they don't want me to send them any other houses that they might be interested in, this is another clue. That means they're going to have loyalty issues or they might have an agent or they might be one of those people who thinks they're calling the listing agent because they're going to score a deal. Sometimes I'll flat out ask, Hey, what's your agent's name? My conversations are all really different, but I generally get the same information out of them. Asking for a name is much more specific than, Hey, do you have an agent? And if they do have one, they'll give me the name. And if they give me the name of an agent, then I'll say, okay, cool. You know what? 
uh, maybe they say that their agent's name is Mary. And I'll say, okay, cool. Have you called Mary and asked her to schedule this appointment for you? And depending on how they respond, will base my response. Because I'm not going to show Mary's client a house. If it's not my listing, I'm certainly not going to steal Mary's buyer. I need more information from that buyer to find out what is going on and why they're calling me and not Mary. If they don't like Mary and they're tired of working with her, that's one thing. But now we're going to have a very specific conversation about how I work and how I expect loyalty from them. However, if they have signed a contract with Mary, like they are exclusive to working with her, I'm not going to steal them. And I'm going to explain to them how that works. You need to quit cheating on Mary. <laughs> you need to call her and set it up with her. And if they think they're calling the listing agent, I'll explain to them how that works too. Why so many people don't know how the internet works. I don't know, but I'm making them all more educated one Zillow user at a time. So of course, if they don't have an agent, I explain why I asked if they had an agent. And it's because I try hard not to step on any other agent's toes. There are a lot of agents out there that will circumvent other agents. I'm sure I've picked up people that were working with someone else, but I don't intentionally do it. I don't disregard that agent and their work because I wouldn't want them to do that to me. So at the end of the call, which could be a couple of minutes or it could be like 10 minutes or maybe even longer, it depends on what tangents we get on. I tell the buyer I'm going to confirm their appointment. I schedule it in showing time and then I confirm with the buyer via text message and maybe even remind them a couple of hours before we're scheduled to meet just to make sure I don't get stood up. Because if I get stood up, man, I'm going to be pissed. Then when I meet them in person, that's when we really have a chance to connect. And I'll basically do the traditional buyer's appointment at the showing. A long time ago, I looked at my conversion rates based on the type of lead that it was. Because, you know, if when you get these online leads, sometimes you get a phone call. Sometimes you get um, a person that uh, Zillow or Realtor, whomever, thinks that they have qualified as a real buyer. Or you might just get uh, the random, I'd like to schedule a showing at this house. So I had figured out once upon a time that for the people I actually talked to on the phone, I converted them 20% of the time to be a client. So not every caller is going to be a deal. You know, half of them are calling on pre-foreclosures and, you know, they're looking for the deal of the century that doesn't exist. But actually speaking with people had a crazy high conversion rate. Versus the random email submissions that never respond had a crazy low conversion rate. How I follow up with a Zillow lead is going to depend on whether or not I've had a conversation with them or if I'm still kind of stalking them to find out what their deal is. So I've got them set up on a drip campaign and I'll call and text them usually not more than one time a day. I know some people recommend calling in the morning and again in the evening, but that's just too much for me. So I put them on a follow-up action plan that will either send automated emails or remind me to call or text them, you know, so maybe today I call them tomorrow, they get an email, then the next day I text them, so on and so forth. For the first few days after I get the lead, I'll reference the house that they inquired about. Then I'll start dangling carrots, other three bedroom, two bathroom houses in XYZ neighborhood or homes with three car garages in this town, something similar to the property that they asked about. And then if they don't respond, you know, for a week or two after that, I'll go into my proof of life series. 
proof of life being links to interesting sets of homes for sale, like foreclosures, fixer-uppers, acreages, homes with pools, million-dollar listings, anything that might just be a little bit more interesting than here is a new three-bedroom, two-bath house. And these might have nothing to do with what they originally inquired about. But if they haven't responded to any calls, text messages, or emails, maybe they'll click on one of my proof of life email links. And then I'll know that at least there's a person on the other end of my emails. Remember, these are leads that you're paying for. So make sure you put all the effort into connecting with them before you, before you put them on the, you know, I'm never going to call them again list. There are a lot of ways to work your online leads. And this way has worked really well for me. This year, we're at 13% conversion of our Zillow leads. That's 20 sales out of 152 leads. And those are new sales. If we have a past client sale that was originally from Zillow, it's classified as past client because that's two different things. A brand new Zillow lead that lead sources Zillow. That's, I mean, that's pretty cut and dry. But that past client who was originally a Zillow lead well, now I have a relationship with them and I work really hard to keep that relationship. So that sale gets credited to me because it's a past client sale, even though it originally came from Zillow. And we've had 14 past client sales this year that originally came from Zillow. Rebecca, thanks for asking me how I handle my Zillow leads. I hope this was helpful. And please know that I also recommend having multiple lead sources. Don't put all your budget and effort in just Zillow or just realtor.com. Actually, I wouldn't put anything into realtor.com, but you know what I mean? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You definitely want to have a strategy for staying in touch with all of your leads, as well as your past clients and your sphere of influence too. So, Hey, if you have a question that you'd like an answer or a perspective on, and have it featured on this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Email me at podcast at savvyagent.co. Have a great week.